before we start the show, I want to say thank you, patriots, conservative patriot nation. We thank all of you patriots that listen to us, that join our podcast shows. And if you don't know where that's at, if you join our telegram group, Conservative Patriot Nation Network. You can join the live chat when we do the interviews, and you can also indulge in Q&A. I'm just going to give a quick message on teams that we have teamed up with, and the podcast will play shortly. Z-Stack, zstack.com, Dr. Zelenko has made one of the best powerful all-in-one pill Z-Stack, that is an immune booster that'll fight against any bioweapon. And he also created Detox, which will help the vaccinated individuals boost their immune system and take some of that stuff out of them. And if you use promo code CPN, you'll get 5% off. And then we teamed up with MyPillow.com, Mike Lindell, a very great American patriot that is fighting for the freedoms of Americans and the world because where America goes, the world goes. So if you can go to mypillow.com and support Mike Lindell while he fights the fight and he's putting a lot of his own hard earned money into the fight, and you can use promo code CPNN and get 66% off of your purchase. And that's CPNN for my pillow, and it's CPN for Z Stack. And enjoy the show. God bless you all. God bless America. God bless Dr. Zelenko, and God bless Mike Lindell. Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Today, we have a very special doctor joining us, Dr. Lee Vleet. Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us tonight. You are so welcome. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's it's definitely an honor. So, Dr. Vleet, if you can uh, give the audience a little brief background on you and how you've been boots on the ground and uh, the fight you've been given, the good fight. Well, I'll be happy to do that. Actually, my uh, fight against big medicine and government intrusion into the physician-patient relationship began a long time ago. I actually resigned from all insurance contracts in 1986 and started speaking out on the fact that government contracts, private insurance contracts intruded on the doctor-patient relationship, and doctors needed to stand firm against that. But as we've seen, the majority of medical practitioners in the U.S. have become employed physicians and employed nurses with big health systems and government organizations and private signed contracts with private insurance. So that actually by being an employed physician or nurse practitioner nurse, that actually sets people up for having administrators interfere with their medical decision-making. And that is one of the reasons that we have had so much problem throughout the COVID pandemic. And in March, 2020, 
I began treating my first COVID patients as an ambulatory outpatient medicine-based physician. And they, they were responding to the medicines that we often use for viral illness in the early stages, antivirals, corticosteroids and anti-inflammatory agents, anticoagulants if needed. COVID was more serious than other viral illnesses in causing blood clots and exaggerated inflammation if you, if you did not get early treatment. But other than that, it was the combination of medicines that many of us frontline doctors started using to try and save patients and keep them out of the hospital was working very well. And then I was involved very much with Senator Ron Johnson from early April on through the entire pandemic with getting him information medically and, and getting signatures from other doctors for letters to go to the president to make hydroxychloroquine and later ivermectin available to the public and working to help alert the public to the early treatment options. And then started working on, when we started hearing about the complications that were expected with this experimental vaccine, started working with a lot of the top experts. Dr. McCullough and I wrote the early COVID home treatment guide that's on our website, Truth for Health Foundation. And we had done an earlier version for AAPS that was in the fall of 2020. And it lays out what everyone needs to do to get their COVID survival kit in place. And that same survival kit, honestly, for all your listeners to understand now, the same medicines that we've been using to treat COVID illness early at home actually works well for treating vaccine injured people. It works for radiation injury in, in the event that people are overexposed to the 5G rollout and the towers, the big transmitter arrays that are now on schools and throughout many neighborhoods. And in, in addition, all of the current rumblings ginning up fear about hemorrhagic fever, Marburg, Ebola, Lassa fever, and other hemorrhagic fevers, though most of those viral illnesses also respond to the same anti-inflammatories, antivirals, ways of reducing blood clotting, as well as some of the immune boosters and oxidative stress treatment that we've been using all along, and many of us have been using in medicine for a long time. So I think the bottom line for your listeners is that all of us have to stand up to tyranny, and doctors need to come out of the corner and start fighting for their patients, and lawyers need to do the same. We have too few patriots that are getting involved in the fight, and too many people sitting back on the sidelines protecting their job or um, not wanting to get involved. So I think the conservative patriot group that you've assembled is the organization that needs to spearhead action on the ground. And Truth for Health Foundation has a lot of action steps outlined on our website. We've just launched 
the citizens vaccine injury reporting system to do the job that the CDC has failed to do. And we are collecting the data. And as we analyze it, we will do reports to the public fully transparent about what we're finding. So in a nutshell, those are some of the big initiatives. We have the military legal defense grant program. We've been defending military service members whose rights are being abused. And we have been advocating for them. In fact, I was just personally involved in helping to actually rescue an army captain who was being held unlawfully on a trumped up psychiatric charge at Fort Benning, Georgia on April 4th and 5th. And then they tried to detain him again on the following Sunday night when he returned to his base housing at the end of his leave. We finally got him out of the forced psychiatric detention on the, at 3 a.m. on April 5th. His attorney and I stayed on the phone with him for five hours, witnessing all that was going on and trying to reason with people about the unlawful nature of their detention. So the situation in our U.S. military is devastating with the vaccine damage, the deaths, the injuries, the heart damage, the risk to the pilots. That is absolutely devastating, and we're fighting tooth and nail on that front. So we actually encourage all of you to join our crusade and support us. We are a 501c3 public charity. I take no compensation for my work with the foundation. And our scientists and physicians and lawyers are pro bono advisors, volunteer advisors. So donate to support us because it helps to support the medical freedom initiatives and the vaccine injury reporting system and data analysis and all of the initiatives that we have underway. Well, that's a hopefully a quick overview and I'm happy to take questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and is that, could you, or could um, the people donate at truthforhealth.com? Is that the website to donate? No, it's, it's .org. Truthfor. Health.org. There, someone has the other name with the number four and the dot com, and that's not a, a current organization that I know of. But ours is dot org, and we we are a fully approved five hundred one c three public charity. Yeah, I most definitely will be making a, a donation to you. Um, it's definitely a good cause, and we need more people um, fighting which I do agree with you, uh, boots on the ground. And that's why we bring patriots like yourself on here to, to give us a little bit of knowledge and education. And I think the problem in this patriot movement, if you look at, I don't even want to call them left or Democrats, because I mean, they're human beings like us and they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They just have a programming way of thinking they're highly organized and the people that love God, country and freedom, we were enjoying life. We were working long hours, uh, enjoying summer festivities. 
and these people were organized and just smacked us when we weren't looking. It was like a sucker punch. Exactly and I, right. And they're still doing it. They're still coming at us in their orchestrated plan. They're coming at us from all directions. And in fact, one of the things that your listeners really need to understand is that this didn't come out of the blue. This has been planned for close to 20 years. Todd Callender has presented in programs with me the fact that the international health agreement that was signed by, I think, 196 countries in 2005 set the stage for the takeover of the public health response in all of those countries that signed it. WHO takes over in the event of a global pandemic. So what happened in 2020? Tedros announced in March a global pandemic was in place. And that announcement by the World Health Organization triggered the implementation of the agreement that had been signed 15 years earlier. And people don't realize that. President Obama put in the Cures Act at the very end of his administration in late November after he knew that President Trump had actually won the election when they thought Hillary would have won. And the Cures Act waived patient rights in hospitals. And no one realized that that had been done. And then with the CARES Act starting off the pandemic in 2020, the hospitals were given bonus payments to use the government approved protocols. Now, at first, that appeared to be a beneficial step because there was major concern at the beginning of the pandemic that the hospitals would be overwhelmed and would collapse economically. So those of us in medicine understood why that step was taken, but what no one knew at that time, and certainly I don't think President Trump realized it, was that that CARES Act protocol would be used to actively take patients' lives in the hospital by denying them the antivirals, corticosteroids, antibiotics, fluids that we normally use and force them into remdesivir and ventilators and restricting fluids in the way that I've personally witnessed as we try to rescue patients from that COVID death protocol. So it's really important that everyone understand how long they have actually planned this and they've known for at least 20 years the toxicity of the spike protein in the mRNA vaccine technology. They've known the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles. And when you get these shots, you now have not only the spike protein toxicity that was occurring with COVID illness, but you have the lipid nanoparticles that are coating the mRNA and driving the mRNA into cells throughout your body. And it doesn't just stay in the arm, it's distributed to all the organs in the body, particularly critical organs, brain, heart, lungs, kidneys, testes, ovaries. 
So you're in the GI tract. So you're looking at major organ damage throughout the body from inflammation and exaggerated blood clotting with the lipid nanoparticles and the spike proteins. And that is so critical because there are ways to treat it, but you have to know it's happening and you have to have the lab test done, which we have a list on our website. You have to know what tests to do to determine how this has affected your body so that you know what treatment you need. Wow, that's that's really good to hear because, you know, I know a lot of people that uh, members that come on and <clears throat> which is natural, we're humans and, and we're loving beings and um, they're worried about their loved ones that has been vaccinated. And that's really sunshine to my ears to hear that it can be treated. Um, thank you for shedding light on that. Well, you're welcome. I've actually been treating a lot of vaccine injured patients. A lot of my patients actually had medical contraindications to avoid getting the vaccine, but other doctors dismissed those concerns and pushed them to get it. So I've actually had some of my patients I've seen for 20 years or longer that got the vaccine and have had serious complications, everything from neurologic damage to cardiac arrhythmias, severe atrial fib, myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, gastrointestinal pain, flare-up of autoimmune disorders, tinnitus, ringing in the ears, vision changes, hearing changes, um, menstrual changes in younger women, postmenopausal bleeding in older women, testicular pain for men. And I'm treating them, Mike, with a lot of them do really well with hydroxychloroquine and some of the other anti-inflammatories, low-dose corticosteroids perhaps, but hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide nebulized treatment if they have lung problems. You can use famotidine singular, which is the brand name for Montelukast. There are just a lot of antihistamines, anti-inflammatories, antivirals that work really well if you put it all together. And it relieves a lot of these complications that people are having. And so I think that's a really hopeful message for everyone. And as we hear about others coming, there are medications that we're, we have a fact sheet on our website on hemorrhagic fever and Marburg virus. And some of the medicines that are used to treat that, that the CDC and FDA are covering up because they're trying to push people into now a Marburg vaccine. So people need to get prepared. We also have the section on our website called Health and Resilience, where we have a lot of educational materials with alternative ways to improve your health and deal with a lot of these problems. So I encourage your listeners to be proactive. There are a lot of things that are headed our way. They are not going to stop as we go into the midterms. They are not going to let go control easily. And people need to be very proactive. Get your viral illness survival kit on hand at home. Get the nutraceuticals, supplements, vitamins, and other medications that can help you. And many times you can order these yourself 
through various online pharmacies. You can also order lab tests for yourself and follow the list on our website. Under Vaccine Injury Resources, we have the Vaccine Injury Reporting System, report your injury, your complications. We have the lab test. And by the end of the weekend, I expect to have our vaccine injury treatment guide available and the risk, the list of other imaging studies. You have to do a special MRI of the heart if you're worried about myocarditis and pericarditis. There are special MRIs of the brain that have to be ordered if you have vertigo and tinnitus and dizziness other neurologic problems. There are specialty CAT scan protocols for the lungs and the pelvis, for example. So all of these specialty imaging studies can help pinpoint the damage so that you know how to treat it. The problem is a lot of doctors are telling their patients, oh, there has no connection to the vaccine, which is total hogwash. We understand how the vaccines cause these problems, and we understand what's doing it, and we do know how to diagnose it and treat it. So if you're not getting help with your local doc, go online, look at the options we put up there, and start advocating for yourself with doctors who are literate about vaccine injury and COVID illness. Wow. I tell you, you know, they say history repeats itself, and... If that's the case, we know in times of disasters, our creator has always activated people to fight in the times of disaster. And I can tell you right now, he's definitely activated you. And I'm very, very honored to have you on here. And thanks for everything that you're doing. And I will second what you said. And we've been hearing from doctors like Dr. Zelenko and Dr. Stella Manuel, and she said it months ago, and she was trying to get people to really prep their shelves up and says, you guys need to buy this medicine and stock up. And as we see that there are certain food buildings getting exploded and containers being held up at ports, I don't want to push no fear. I'm not a fear porn pusher, but it's important that we do stock up on the things that we need because they may not be on the shelf at some point and there's no guarantees, but be safe and sorry. And Dr. Zelenko's got the Z stack um, and the detox, which is really, really awesome. And well, I think you're exactly right. And look, Paul told Timothy, God does not give us a spirit of fear. And that is true. He gives us a sound mind and a spirit of peace. But what we have to do is act in faith and prepare. And when the watchmen on the wall, and I do feel that many of us are called to be watchmen on the wall, and I'm not going to stand before God on judgment day and say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't want to be bothered. I'm not going to speak out. When God calls and calls us to be a watchman, it's our duty to respond. And the Bible makes it very clear in Ezekiel. When God spoke to Ezekiel, he said, you warn the people. If the people don't listen, 
their blood is not on your hands. If you don't sound the alarm, their blood is on your hands. Now, when we watchmen are called to speak out and warn the people, the people need to act. The epistle of James makes it very clear that faith without action is a dead faith. So preparing to protect your family, protect your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit through which you serve the Lord in this world, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, your job is to protect your body, your physical body, your health for you and your family. So that means getting the things in place in your home under your control to plan for emergencies. Don't, I mean, the way to deal with fear is to plan and prepare, not panic. So don't pay attention to the fear mongering. Get your plan in place. We've put the directions up on our website. They're step-by-step -step guide to what you can do yourself to uh, plan for this. Absolutely, I agree. Um, I have one more thing before we go to Q&A. Um, sure. Because I hear, I hear that the therapeutics that was approved was hydrochloroquine and ivermectin. Is that true? Now, when you say they were approved, are you talking hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were FDA approved? Hydroxychloroquine 65 years ago, it was FDA approved for many uses in medicine. Off-label use for COVID is a perfectly legitimate thing to do with any FDA-approved drug. You doctors have always done that. In fact. I would say 20 to 25% of every prescription in the United States every day is an off-label use for a medicine that was FDA approved for something else. We do it all the time. Ivermectin was approved about 30 years ago and it was approved as a dewormer, but it has many mechanisms of action against the COVID virus and COVID illness and has been beneficial in vaccine injury like hydroxychloroquine has, and both of them are being used in NIH studies as anti-cancer medicines as well. There's a lot of good data in, in PubMed, for example. You Google ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine use in cancer, you'll come up with tons of articles about the clinical trials. Hydroxychloroquine is used as an adjunct in prostate cancer, breast cancer, non-small cell, lung cancer, and a number of other blood cancers. It's, it's amazing all of the ways that these older medicines are being repurposed as anti-cancer drugs. But in addition, I wanna comment, the two new antivirals that were approved on an emergency use basis by they're developed by Pfizer and Merck. Both of those cause mutations that can lead to cancer. And this is in the patient warnings with both of them. They both are teratogenic, which means they can harm a developing baby. So our foundation medical advisory team has taken the position that 
we should not rush to the new antivirals on the emergency use approval, the ones, the two by uh, Pfizer and Merck, but use the older medicines and the ones that have a longer safety record that we already know work. So I hope that answered your question. Yes, it it, it did. And what I was going to lead to is if they were FDA approved and the medical community takes an oath to serve and not harm by denying an approved medicine that could help those patients, isn't that criminal? I don't think there's any question but what there's been criminal suppression of early treatment. And Todd Callender has spoken about that. So have other attorneys. And we need more attorneys to hold them accountable for criminal actions. In fact, people can go on our website and file a criminal complaint. And people can do that in their local communities according to the criteria that are listed in the model criminal complaint form, and they don't need a lawyer to advocate for them. So the citizens themselves can file these complaints. It's just that most people don't know it, and most people are not taking the action that's available to them. Wow. Well, thank you so much for uh, answering that question for me and all the great information you has, you have given us. And her website is health. Truth for health. Truth, truthforhealth.org. Sorry about yes. that. Yes. And now a lot, of, the- a lot of resources there. We've got resources on vaccine injury, military advocacy, 5G and your health, because people better pay attention to that, too, as the radiation increases with the all the new 5G towers that are every 300 feet in many neighborhoods and cities. You're starting to see more people with vaccine injuries have that intensified by the exposure to the electromagnetic radiation. And that's not a tinfoil hat theory. The Defense Intelligence Agency had a detailed document on it from 1976 that is now declassified. It's on our website. You can read about all that they knew about radiation injury and published in 19, put together in a medical paper in 1976. So this is not new information. It's just hard to come by, which is why we've put it all together in one place. I very much appreciate you for doing that, and I will definitely be checking out your website and promoting it here on this page, and this page now is your page. You're an admin in this room, so at night we shut the wall down, and you'll have access to share whatever information that you need on this wall going forward. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I'll get our webmaster to um, work with me to get some of our content up on your channels so that people will see it absolutely thank you for that and now we can get into q a and nomo you are first up and if anybody has a question please press the middle button and we will call on you in order 
Uh, yes, I'm I'm kind of curious if you're uh, familiar with this uh, international treaty on pandemic prevention and preparedness uh, from the EU that is I, I, I'm not I'm pretty sure it's kind of looking it, 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 looking at 2024 that they're trying to kind of get this thing rolling. Um, what does that mean if that happens especially in terms of uh you know the constitution and things that we have here well the the terrifying answer is that it supersedes the constitution of the united states it supersedes the constitution of any country that is a signer to it and that the one you're talking about is an extension of the one i mentioned that was signed actually in 2005, the International Health Agreement with the 100, I think it's 196 countries that signed that one, 190, 196. And this is an extension of that. So you have already seen what they signed in 2005 and how that was immediately implemented in all countries lockstep, same talking points, same shutdowns, same lockdowns, same restriction on medicines, everything by the playbook they put into place in 2005. So the new one takes that further and is more draconian than what already we've seen. So it has to be stopped it supersedes the sovereignty of the countries around the world that make the mistake of signing it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that one definitely scares me. Um, if it's cool, cool, I got, or if it's cool to ask one more quick, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. Um, are you familiar with uh, the Wellness Forum Health uh, organization? Yes. Um, I think that's the one uh, Pam Popper is involved in. Are, yes. are you um, familiar with that one? Is that, uh, what are your thoughts on that one? I'm curious. Yes, I, I think they've been doing great things. And, and she started Make America Free Again as a, a group that is advocating for local community action, which is what I think all of us are saying that we need and we've got to get citizens action locally. One, one, uh, one of my colleagues came up with the phrase, think globally, act locally. And I think that's a good message for all of us. And that's what we're promoting. Think globally, look at the big picture. My job is to help connect the dots of the many things that are happening that look like individual events and when they're not they're coordinated and orchestrated just like stopping the grain shipment to the ranchers for their livestock arson or let's say sabotage or suddenly coincidental fires at all of these food meat processing plants I don't buy for a minute that all of those are coincidental. I think it's all part of the orchestrated plan to start creating food shortages. And many of you listening may be too young to have studied history to know what happened 
under Stalin in the Soviet Union and what he did to starve Ukraine and killed millions, millions of people with created food shortages. What we're seeing now unfolding here are the same Stalinistic tactics, the same tactics the Communist Party of China has used to decimate and kill millions of Chinese. North Korea, Venezuela, all of the totalitarian regimes have all used exactly the same playbook. Which goes back to my point, prepare and plan, don't panic. Start getting a systematic plan in place to begin building your supplies of food and essentials and medicines at home and have them under your control and then also work with local community groups of patriots that are taking back our freedom. The civil disobedience and resistance, lawful resistance is critical to our survival. We've got to help people get off the couch and get into action. Well said. Mike, I have a question. Yeah, uh, we'll do persistent and then Joe be here after persistent. Thanks, Mike. Okay, thank, you. thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight, um, Dr. Elizabeth. Um, Mike, I have two questions. Number one, do you see any increase in vaccine injuries the further out from the vaccine, almost like it was a time released? I am definitely seeing that because some of the complications are related to micro blood clotting that doesn't cause major symptoms for many people at the beginning. But the longer it goes on, and the more that there is micro blood clotting in the small vessels in the body and the periphery of the lungs, the more you begin to have damage and inflammation that leads to bigger blood clots that lead to strokes, heart attacks, and pulmonary emboli. And the more shots people get, the damage is cumulative. The more that they live in areas of, of the rollout of the 5G and the increased density of the electromagnetic radiation, the more that's like putting gasoline on a fire of the underlying vaccine damage. And so it accentuates the damage from the vaccines. They cause a lot of the same symptoms. The other thing leads to a delay in seeing the vaccine injuries is the fact that these COVID shots interrupt, suppress your own immune system so that it actually triggers a vaccine-induced immune deficiency syndrome that means people are more at risk for outbreaks of shingles and herpes and Epstein-Barr CMV virus and RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, whole host of other viruses, we're more susceptible to those. I've actually been doing 
blood test in my patients to look at the titers of these other viruses in people who get sick supposedly with COVID after vaccination. And they've got all these titers high. I'm coming, I've got patients coming back with mycoplasma pneumonia, Epstein-Barr, herpes simplex, herpes zoster, um, CMV titers are being high. They are sicker after the vaccine. And so the immune disruption takes longer sometimes to unfold. The micro blood clotting takes longer to unfold. And so we're now seeing increase in deaths that are, are related to damage that may have taken place last summer or fall, and it's just progressively gotten worse to the point that the person dies. You have another one persistent? Your mic's muted, persistent. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, sorry. Um, Have you had frank discussions with physicians who got the vaccination that are now having complications? And and what do you say to them? That's an interesting question. Um, I, two of my own physicians have had, they had to get vaccinated. They were surgeons and they, they couldn't operate at their hospital. And so they got the shot. So far, they have not had any problem, but they, that they know of. I don't know if they've been tested on all the things I do for my patients. And I know that they both regret it, but so far they're okay. The doctors that have been pushing the vaccines, I have found are very close-minded to hearing that these are anything but, quote, safe and effective, end quote. I don't think they're either, but it's it's a absolute block, mental block, cognitive block that seems to prevent many people from hearing that these are potentially dangerous shots. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, Joby, you're up. Hi, Dr. Lee. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Hi. Um, I went to um, the doctor today and got some blood work. Um, they think I've got like a thyroid issue or something. But I wanted to let you know that they um, made me sign an agreement that they could um, a waiver for them to test me for HIV. And um, so I said, HIV? I said, why are you testing me for HIV? And she said, this is what she said. You have had the vaccination, haven't you? So I thought that was odd. Um, Well, it's not odd because the AD5 adjuvant is the HIV protein. And they know that that is one of the components in in the in the shot 
that people are getting. And it's one of the causes of when I said the vaccine-induced immune deficiency syndrome, it is very similar in concept as well as similar in symptomatology to the HIV AIDS syndrome. So now they are pretending that it's not connected to the shot, but they are checking for this. And I think it's unfortunate that they're not being truthful with patients to explain why they're doing that. But I think we're going to see more push to have that test done. Thank you. You're welcome. I think that's interesting the way they presented it to you, almost as if it was a nonchalant, oh, you've been vaccinated. Well, most people would ask the logical question, what does the COVID shot have to do with being a, needing to be tested for HIV? Yes, well, I, I, I took the opportunity to say, no, I have not been vaccinated. Oh, good. Good for you. <laughs> You're a pure blood. Then. True, true. All right, Tammy, you're up. And after Tammy, humble. Hi, Dr. Lee. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. You're um, welcome. I just had a, a question about some clarification. Um, so are you saying... I mean, I know a ton about the vaccine, the side effects, the ailments and all this stuff. But um, are you saying that like the vaccine could actually cause people to develop herpes or one of these things? Or it just if they had it before it gets worse or whatever. And with that being said, say just say herpes, for example, and they develop this and they come to you and you say, well, were you vaccinated? And like, what's what? How are you telling these people this is what it's from? Well, uh, it sometimes is challenging. Some of my patients have gotten mad at me when I've made a connection to a, with a current health problem to the fact that they got the shot. And other patients are grateful to know that what triggered it. I've had probably in the last, just the last two weeks, I've had a half dozen people tell me that they're, They've had herpes outbreaks or shingles outbreaks. They've all been vaccinated. And some of the people that have had the shingles outbreaks are young, healthy men who normally would not have been at risk for shingles. And in fact, one, one young man, he's in his 30s, you wouldn't expect to see a bad case of shingles like he has. He sent me a picture and you wouldn't expect to see that in somebody unless they were 60, 70, 80 years old and immune compromised. Well, the vaccine compromises your immune system. So it's not surprising that we're seeing herpes and, and shingles outbreaks in younger people who've been vaccinated. So does it cause it? It is a little difficult to answer. 
because most of us have been exposed to these viruses and, and they're latent in the body and they don't, they don't break out because we're healthy and our immune system takes care of it. But when you've been immune compromised with this mRNA shot or DNA shot that's altering your immune response, then yes, you're more at risk of catching it, herpes, let's say in a sexual contact, uh, contact or more at risk of a latent virus in your body being activated because now your immune system's not, not working properly. Just like the immune system normally has many cancer surveillance aspects that are going on every day of your life and help prevent you from getting cancer. The shots turn off those cancer surveillance genes P53 tumor suppressor gene is a big one, and there are others. So the COVID shots are turning that off, and that's why we're seeing such a huge rise in cancers and cancers that are more aggressive because our body's normal mechanism to stop it early are either shut off or impaired. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does answer my question. Thank you very much. And um, I had one more question um, that early on, whenever we started seeing the adverse reactions from the vaccine, I was reading that a lot of really young guys were developing um, prostate problems, prostate cancer, and stuff like that. But I haven't heard much more about that lately. And I was just wondering, what is your um, take on that. Have you seen that? Yes. And that you, there's a lot you don't hear about. That doesn't mean that it isn't happening. It just means that it's covered up and doctors are not reporting it. And patients are being told, oh, there's no connection with the vaccine. And all of that is simply not true. Young men typically don't get testiculitis or testicular pain and prostate problems with chronic infections and inflammation and pain. That comes typically later in life for men. So the fact that we're seeing all of this in young men, just like all of the heart damage in young males, it, it really is all related to the spike protein and lipid nanoparticle inflammation that's damaging critical organs. The Japanese biodistribution study done that Pfizer did at the request of the Japanese government in 2020, before the vaccines were rolled out, that study was suppressed until Dr. Bridal in Canada got it released under a freedom of information request and had it translated into English. And when that bio distribution study was released, it turns out that it showed very high concentrations of the spike protein and lipid nanoparticles in ovaries, testicle, heart, lungs, brain, kidney. So all the critical organs are getting a dose of these toxic substances. The lipid nanoparticles, you may have read, and you and Dr. Long, Teresa Long, 
brought this out in her testimony in Senator Johnson's first press conference on the vaccine injury. But polyethylene glycol is a component in the Pfizer shot. That's the same chemical as antifreeze. And so that is helping to get the mRNA into the cells of your body, but the chemical itself is inflammatory. So that helps to explain all of this damage. Yes, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, Humble, you're up. And after Humble, Dolphin, and after Dolphin Smile for the win. Well, Dr. Lee, thank you so much. You're um, welcome. I'm learning quite a bit. Um, mine is going to be more of a let's address the elephant in the room type of question or comment. We know that these diseases are man-made. Um, it's been proven, you know, even cancer was man-made. We are hearing more and more about depopulization, and it's not to have the tenfold hat theory. We're just we're looking at the evidence in front of us. Right. This past month or past couple of weeks, we've now been hearing that COVID is coming from a strain of snake venom. What are your thoughts on this, should I say? Well, there's a lot of controversy about the recent theory about snake venom. Some of the researchers on, that are world experts on snake venom are right here in Arizona, where I'm based, because Arizona is a state that has a lot of rattlesnakes, and a lot of people die from rattlesnake bites. What the University of Arizona researchers found, and, and this may help make some sense, is that healthy people have low levels of an enzyme that is like snake venom. It's not snake venom. It's, it's an enzyme like that, that actually in a healthy person is used to in the body normally. It's in our bodies normally. It's not something administered to us. And what in a healthy person, when we have a bacterial or viral illness, that enzyme goes to work to kill those pathogens. And what they, what part of what the discussion has been about snake venom has been a misinterpretation of some of the material that came from the University of Arizona researchers where they found a correlation in COVID patients which is an inflammatory illness, I've already talked about that, that in the setting of major inflammation, that enzyme level, instead of being at a low level, is produced, it's upregulated, it's produced at higher levels, and then it starts attacking normal cells. That happens in COVID, it happens in other inflammatory conditions, and it happens in cancer, it happens in sepsis. So there are a lot of infections and inflammations that trigger that normal natural enzyme in our bodies. 
to be upregulated and produced in excessive amounts, which leads to cytokine storm and inflammation and damage, and which can lead to death. Now, the other side of the coin was the discussion with Dr. Artis, who there are a lot of people, good physicians and scientists who have studied COVID, who have studied the pathology, who are treating patients in the hospital, outpatient, like those of us who are outpatient docs. And some of what was presented is not medically correct. And it's beyond the scope of this session to go into detail on that. But some of the critical care doctors, I would refer you to several articles on our website written by experts in different fields who have analyzed that theory and have explained the flaws. Having said that, I'd like to come back to something I said earlier. All of these conditions have similar biologic damage, inflammation, blood clotting or bleeding abnormalities, oxidative stress, immune disruption, neurologic damage. All of them, whether you're talking about a snake bite, whether you're with real venom, whether you're talking about hemorrhagic fever, radiation illness, COVID vaccine injury, COVID illness, and even some of the um, effects of cancers, for example. So if you take those five common areas of biological damage and you look at what treats them, we come back to the same things I mentioned earlier. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, fenbendazole, albendazole, We've got the antihistamines, anti-inflammatories, antivirals, anticoagulants, and we've also got neuroprotective medicines and some of the hepatitis and HIV medicines have been used successfully to treat all of these syndromes. So I think the message that I, I want, the, the elephant in the room, I think, is that people are not being told that what they can do, they can plan and learn how to treat these things at home with existing safe medicines, supplements, nutraceuticals, and the way that you design your meal plan. Anti-inflammatory eating and meal plans have been around for years. We've been talking about that in medically for years, at least some of us that are doctors who deal with nutrition. So I think the real elephant in the room is not the latest theory of the day to panic people, but what we can do to protect ourselves that nobody's talking about. It's sort of like um, the elephant in the room in an alcoholic family. Stop drinking alcohol. And everybody avoids that. Everybody's avoiding telling people, the public, I'm talking about now the public health agencies and the government agencies and big medicine that are following the party line and the CDC narrative. Stop telling people there are no treatments. We've got tons of them and they work. You just got to get the public educated about it, which is what 
all of us have to do in channels like this because we're censored everywhere else. Now, everybody's seeing why our founders put in place what was supposed to be a free press that was a watchdog to control an out of control government. Now that the press is owned by six major companies and all of them answer to the government and big pharma and big global elites, now we see the danger of not having a free press. And that's what our founders warned us about. Our last measure of freedom is our second amendment. And if we lose that, there we become sheep led to the slaughter. Yes. There's a famous, oops, sorry, humble. No, I was just saying, thank you. You're welcome. So I liked your phrase, the elephant in the room, but I, but I think it's the bigger one is we got to teach people to prepare and plan to protect themselves. There's a. I've got a little bit more time to take a couple more questions before I think we may need to wrap up, Mike, but it's really been a pleasure to be with all of you tonight. Most definitely. We got two more questions if you can take two more. Okay. And then is there a recording of this that we can put on our website? Most definitely. I'll send it to Marshall and Marshall can send to you. Great. Thank you so much. And back to what you were saying about the press, I'll say quickly before we get to the questions, there's a, a famous quote. Well, it's famous to me. And it goes, a people that is not informed will lead a society of ignorance. And you're 100% correct. And that's what drives me on bringing great speakers like you on here. Because, and I've told Marshall this, we've had long phone conversations. And I said, you know, Marshall, I says, we all know about COVID right now. I says, I'm really getting tired of watching the podcast with these doctors because it's like, what are we figuring out now to help these people that were felt that fell victim to the to the vaccines and right you are a breath of sunshine tonight <laughs> and all i gotta say i just want to say that i know you've been on for a while i can keep on going and this was definitely god sent tonight and i i'm really honored well thank you i i, I have a real heart for helping to treat the vaccine injured people. Got a lot of military service members that we're trying to help and my own patients and these educational programs. I can't personally treat everybody, but I can certainly put out the educational materials that will help people know what to do. Most definitely. And we have Dolphin Smile and For the Win. Dolphin Smile, you're up. And I love the name Dolphin Smile. Oh, well, a... thank you, Dr. Lee. I appreciate <laughs> you coming on. Um, Happy uh, to be here. Yes. Um, I was wondering, uh, is people that are receiving chemotherapy, isn't it contraindicated for an individual who's already receiving chemo to, uh, or radiation, just radiation to get any kind of a flu vaccination? And if it, not, 
Why do you think? In my opinion, it should be contraindicated because those treatments, radiation treatment and chemotherapy are themselves very hard on the body and to stimulate an inflammatory response to the vaccine and the adjuvants that are in them, I think is adding potential for more harm. So for my own patients, I would not recommend it. I mean, I think it's appalling that they are requiring the COVID shot to get a transplant when we already know that it suppresses the immune system and we know that it can cause myocarditis and strokes and um, kidney damage. Why on earth would we risk a transplant patient requiring a vaccine? But it's being done at every hospital in the United States. It's to me, it's it's a terrible tragedy. But that's the protocol, and they are blithely pushing ahead, ignoring the risk. And I was wondering if I could fit one more question. And I agree with you. I was firsthand experienced that with a family member. Um, can I ask another question? Go ahead. Um, the blood supply, it's always been on my mind. Um, and I know we don't always have the answers right now, like systematically how we're going to take care of the blood supply. But from how I see it from here, there's going to have to be something done about the blood supply um, that that worries me, you know. Well, I, I think it should worry all of us because there's there's no screening and there's um, there are a lot of the safeguards that used to be in place that are being let go. And those who are vaccinated have circulating antibodies, mRNA, lipid nanoparticles in the bloodstream. And we, we have no way to know how long that persists. We have no way to know what the damage is for those who haven't been vaccinated. I, I think it's a serious risk. What I've told my own patients is that if you anticipate that you need elective surgery, give blood, give your own blood. It's called an autologous blood donation. You can do it at the Red Cross. And you give your own blood ahead of time. And there's a specified period of time that you have to be within that window. I did that before a hysterectomy surgery, just as a precaution. And as it turned out, there was a complication during my surgery and I was hemorrhaging and they ended up having to give me my own blood. And thank goodness I had done that ahead of time. So I, if you're facing an elective surgery, I would encourage you to look into the autologous blood donation and plan ahead. Obviously in a trauma or an emergency, you don't have time to give your own blood and you don't have time to plan ahead. And then I think all of us are vulnerable. True. All right. For the win, you're up for the win. 
Hey, Dr. Lee, looks like you got the best for last here. <laughs> Let's go for the win. Yeah, I, I got a couple questions for you. I, uh, the first one's pretty easy. Um, so not the vaccinated crowd, but the unvaccinated people that uh, have caught COVID and have recovered, what kind of um, problems or things have you seen with them at all? Like any of the myocarditis, myocarditis, like blood clotting, is, is, are those concerns to the unvaccinated? Well, if if they've had COVID that wasn't treated early, then those are some of the complications that can occur following COVID. I just evaluated a military officer, did all the labs that I normally do, and he had had COVID, I think it was about four or five months ago. And they were trying to force him to get the vaccine. And for several other reasons, it, it was contraindicated for him and they were ignoring that. But when I did all of the labs, I was surprised to find that his D-dimer, which is the marker, blood marker for blood clotting risk, this was five months after COVID and he was theoretically recovered, but his D-dimer was still three times normal and almost four times normal. And, and I said to him, I said, absolutely, you cannot risk this COVID shot on top of an already elevated D-dimer and some other markers that were elevated. And so I don't think we know how long the inflammatory markers can stay elevated after the COVID illness because doctors, most doctors are not checking it. So go on our website and print that list of all the labs I've been doing. Now, a lot of these labs have been part of my comprehensive evaluation of my patients for 35 years. Some of them are new that I have added because I didn't used to need to look for the, some of these other things in the practice that I, I had. Some of them I have added to my list as a result of the COVID complications and the vaccine complications. But that lab list is going to help you check markers in the major organ systems in your body that can be affected by COVID. And I have doctors tell my patients all the time, oh, you don't need this. You don't need all these lab tests. You don't need these markers. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, it's not true. You do need them if you're going to find out what's going on if you're having problems. So had we not done all of those tests for this military officer, he may well have been, he may well have been killed getting the shot. But for the I mean, it was that serious, the damage for him the risk for him to get that shot with these markers abnormal. But it would be fair to say though, like in the unvaccinated grouping that these types of COVID illnesses aren't as prevalent then? No, the I, I'm having a little trouble hearing your question, but in the vaccinated, we're seeing more illnesses and more COVID cases 
2021 and 2022. The unvaccinated people who get COVID, in my experience and most of my doctor colleagues I'm working with, in 2021, the unvaccinated and 2022 who got COVID were not as sick as the vaccinated people who got COVID. Does that answer your question? Kinda, I mean, I, I got COVID the first Friday in February and I was down to the count like the whole month. Whereas my girlfriend, she got vaccinated a year ago and I got it Friday. She got her symptoms really like Sunday night and she was out with it for a week. So she was like recovered everything and I just struggled with it like crazy. Well, it depends. There are a lot of individual risk factors that play a big role in that. And it depends upon whether or not you got the full combination of medicines early enough. The combination of medicines that we have on our website need to be given in the first five days if you're really going to avoid being knocked down for a month or like you experience. And if you just right. got part or some of that algorithm, then it is possible for you to be quite sick and it's possible for the vaccinated to be quite sick. I mean, I've had patients, both unvaccinated and vaccinated who, who have been very sick, even when I've treated early. Now, nobody's gone in the hospital and nobody died that I treated, but I will say this, it's very individual and it's unpredictable. So that's why I say you need to be prepared with all of the medicines and hit it hard quickly. And that's what I did, the vitamin C, D, zinc, the ivermectin, the whole nine yards with it. And then I got the Z-Pack uh, the following Monday. Well, so, you not only need ivermectin, but you need hydroxychloroquine, albuterol, nebulized budesonide, as well as the antibiotics. So I would say that you really didn't get the whole nine yards that needs to come together for it to work quickly to help you not struggle for a month. You got some sense. of it. Right. Okay. Uh, one other quick question. I, I know we all know if you get a good night's sleep, you can get a MyPillow. You can use promo code CTNN checkout. I think Mike's got the deal now. But I've had problems sleeping and everything, and I've been on Trazodone for a couple of years, and I'm just done with the crap. And I try to go to bed, and I just can't sleep at night. What would you recommend to try to, like, wean off of that trazodone stuff and everything? Well, I can't give individual medical advice for people I've not evaluated. That's, that's a violation of our licensing regulations. But trazodone has been a very safe medicine. I've used it for many years in low doses. But my, my work in my practice is to try and get to the bottom of why someone is not sleeping. What other endocrine metabolic um, nutritional deficiencies might be there that are contributing to the insomnia? And there, there, are, there are probably 100 different causes that need to really be looked at. So I think if you look at some of the lab tests that we do and look at 
what are some of the other risk factors that you might personally have and start talking with your doctor about a more comprehensive evaluation, including a basic sleep study. Find out what what else is going on. That makes sense. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay, Mike. Dr. Lee, I just want to thank you again. And like I said, I'm very, very honored. And um, I can't wait to have you and Todd on. And uh, this this was awesome. Um, you said some things that it's not even about hopium. You know, there's so many people that are, they're, they're living in hell in their own brain because they, they see all this fear that's being pushed about the vaccinated and and like I told Marshall, I said, Marshall, you know, I'm really tired of watching these doctor interviews. Like, you can keep telling us about these vaccines and how bad they are. I think the message is out, but what are you telling us to help those that are vaccinated? Because now we need to start preserving life. And you tonight, it, it was really awesome. Because, you know, a lot of vaccinated people, are they watched the Ron Johnson hearings. And they're having buyer's remorse. And there's two of my aunts. I've gave uh, the Dr. Zelenko ZStack.com site. And I have an aunt that has the detox. And another aunt that she's like, she was getting like sick every week. So she accidentally got the ZStack when I told her to get the detox. But it's helped her improve so much. So I want to thank you so much for that information you gave us tonight. Well, you're very welcome. There's a whole list of um, even broader than what you've just referred to. And there's a whole list of supplements, nutraceuticals, and there are a whole list of foods that people need to focus on that will reduce the inflammation and blood clotting and the oxidative stress um, and, and will help repair the body. So, I'm working as fast as I can to get that guide up on our website and have it ready. And I will do my best to let you know as soon as it's up there, um, because I think I think you'll really be surprised at all the things that you can do. And I tell you, I've been just amazed at what a versatile, safe, effective, helpful medication the hydroxychloroquine has been. I have so many of my patients that have done really well on it for a variety of things, autoimmune thyroiditis, pain with swallowing, um, pain around the neck from autoimmune thyroiditis, which is worse after the vaccine, Um, autoimmune arthritis, some of the neuropathic pain syndromes after the vaccine, There are a dozen different reasons that I'm finding in my own practice that the hydroxychloroquine helps people. And it's simple. It's one pill a night at dinner. And people come back to me and say, this has just made a huge difference. It it reduces inflammation. It reduces pain. It's antiviral. And it reduces some of the... um, proteins that are elevated in cancer patients as well. It's just amazing. 
So I actually have had a lot more success for a lot more diverse patients using the hydroxychloroquine than ivermectin, although I've used them both. And, and there are lots of others that we can add to it. So I really encourage people to look at the COVID early treatment guide because all the medicines that we used for treating COVID early are absolutely helping my vaccine injured patients that I personally treat. And I know others that are using that as well. So that's something people can get started on right now is looking at putting those pieces into place and don't just suffer and, and don't feel like that you're running around from website to website with things that you don't know whether they're going to work and you're spending a fortune. Look at some of the safer things we've had available. You could get these generic medicines for very little money. I think a prescription for a month's supply of hydroxychloroquine might only cost $8 on a good RX coupon. So you, you can find ways to help you feel better with things you do like sleep and cleaning up your environment and cleaning up your diet and exercising and getting out in the sun. But then you've got all of these other things that you can take that are some over the counter and some are prescription, but put them together in a coordinated plan and you'd really be surprised at how much it can improve your health. Absolutely. And for the uh, the listeners that are still on, is there any way that they can follow? Do you have a Telegram, uh, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter? Well, I got canceled on Twitter, and I had a big, big uh, following there. Did a lot of work there, but I got canceled for tweeting about the truth of COVID early treatment and the risk of vaccines. Um, and honestly. Right now, our work is so intense with the foundation that all of our efforts are getting material up on our website. And I would encourage those of you that have social media channels, go to our website and find the things you like, and then you tweet them out and send them out. And I do have a Telegram channel, Marshall, but I don't have time to check it. So that's I've not been as good on the social media after Twitter canceled me because I was ramped up on other things we were working on. That's all right. Me and for the win or for the win, me and Marshall get your uh, telegram up and popping because you deserve Sounds it. Good. And Sounds I'll be willing good. to help and volunteer on that with Marshall. That would be fantastic because you guys could start posting a lot of the podcasts and videos and things that we've done and the articles that we've posted, you all can start just pulling it off our website and post it on the channel and link it back to the website so people can go back for more. Yeah, most definitely. And Dr. Lee, I won't hold you up any longer. Okay. Um, like I, said, I, want, I want to thank you. And it's awesome that, you know, you hung out with a senator from my state as well, uh, Ron Johnson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was funny, Mike. I got to tell you. I did an interview for a Milwaukee radio station about doctors being blocked from getting hydroxychloroquine in March of 2020. And literally, that was the end of March, literally three days later, Senator Johnson called me out of the blue and said, tell me what this is that are blocking doctors from getting hydroxychloroquine. We just ramped up 
76 million doses in the national stockpile and we got it. I worked with President Trump, we got it donated. And now it's not, it's just sitting there. So I gave him an earful and he said, well, can you get me a hundred doctors to sign a petition and we'll, I'll take it to the president. And I said, sure. So I reached out to our medical organization, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And Jeremy and I worked on, I wrote the letter. Jeremy sent out the alert to the database. And 48 hours later, we had 1,300 people, doctors and patients signing it. So I, from that moment on, I was in contact with him by text message and phone several times a week throughout the whole pandemic trying to get him information he could use to advocate for the American people. He's well, an that, amazing man. Yeah, he's doing a lot. You know, um, <clears throat> that hearing that he had, I was very thankful. My mom called me up and she says, well, you were right. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm not trying to be right. I'm not even trying to sound smart, mom. I love you. That's why I was giving you this information. And if it took Ron Johnson's hearing for her to see it, that's I'm just more than thankful, you know? Yes. Well, I will tell you all of everyone listening needs to help him get reelected. He is one of the true patriots and warriors in Washington that's standing up for all of us. And a senator speaks for everyone in the country, not just his own state. And we need we need Ron Johnson back there. Absolutely. He's got my vote. Well, I can't vote because I don't live in Wisconsin, but I can certainly try and help in his campaign efforts. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely, um, well, I message with Marshall. Marshall can talk to you later, but I definitely would help, love to help push for Ron Johnson as well. Good. And thank you both for your support of the Truth for Health Foundation. We really are a public charity that puts the money where it needs to be, which is helping people not paying salaries of big names. So we are working hard to make the money that we raise go for the right purpose. I definitely will be sending you a donation tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to having you and Todd Callender join us uh, very shortly. I'll be giving Marshall a date tomorrow. Okay, sounds great. Look forward to it. God bless and you and thank you for joining us. God bless all of you and thank you for all of your efforts. And good night. You have a good night.